What means most to him? What means most to you? Newcastle upon Tyne. The city of Newcastle. The guy, as a football, is a legend. As a person, he's a legend. And as the city of Newcastle upon Tyne, he's a legend. Put your hands together for a fella called Peter Beardsley. Can I just say, can I just say, I thought he was taking the piss when he said he can't see anybody. <laughs> well, you literally can't see anybody. There's a black and white shirt down there, but apart from that, can't see anything. But it's, well, I had the pleasure of working with Mick. Some of you would have seen on uh, Mick and obviously Steve's show yesterday about the end of the show in terms of, we got to work for the 98 World Cup in France. And honestly, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to play, but we traveled the length and breadth of France, unbelievable. And obviously since that, He's commented on my games and obviously got to know each other. And what he's just said about me is obviously really nice, really kind. And yeah, didn't doubt anything else, but you'll know, and certainly the older ones in the room with all due respect, there's never been a better radio commentator than this fella. And I really mean that. It's not about me, it's about you. <laughs> how are you? Are you all right? Yeah. What about football? Tell me about football. Tell, tell me how much you love football these days, or don't you like about football these days? Yeah. yeah. I love Fridays because I play five aside, 12 till one, and <laughs> five brilliant and five till six. It is it, it's big headed as it's going to be, but I played on Friday night, Mick, and uh, I nutmegged the fella in about a, a, a 12 foot space, and he. Like, he was really gutted, but the other 11 that were playing went, wow. And, and, and that's my pleasure now. I get to play five aside on a Friday, 12 till one, five till six. Absolutely love it. Uh, what don't I like about football now? Diving. Yeah. VAR. Ooh. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, to be fair, you could go on and go yeah. on, but like, people diving is my big pet hit. You know, I may have dived in the past, but the good thing is, if I did, nobody can remember it and nobody can see it. So, <laughs> so I... Uh, and that's a big point. That's a big point because, you know, players these days, yes, they cheat. And yes, they do this, that and the other. But because there's a million phones, there's a million TVs, there's yeah. a million cameras. You did get away with murder. Absolutely. You many, yeah. many other yeah, yeah. people got away with murder, by the way. The only good thing was that if I did get fouled for it, I missed the penalty on purpose. <laughs> you never realised that, but, you know, when I missed the one against the Mackhams, I'd obviously just been fouled, so... But then I managed to score the next one, so... It, uh, now, it, what Mick's talking about is, it is, it is a different world for, for society, for people, you know, technology, whatever you want to call it, it is a different world.
but the basics of football will never change in terms of the best players will be in the best teams and that's the way football is that's what, how I without being big-headed got to Liverpool I was considered one of the best players to hopefully go into one of the best teams and that's what football is and when I got the chance to come back with Kevin you know I haven't played with him in 83 for him then to be my manager in 93 people wonder what he said to me all he said to me was I want you to do what I did for you 10 years ago I want you to look after the younger players make them better make this club special and we all did that together I think we had some brilliant young players you know but me Kenny Wharton Chris Waddle Wes Saunders Steve Carney for us to have the pleasure to play with Kevin Keegan as kids as we're is something that you can't buy you know I talked to I talk to people now about kids going into the academy. It's not something your parents can pay for you to do. You have to have an ability, you have to have a desire, and you have to have something that's going to be different to everybody else. And that is something that is still brilliant to see. You'd probably be surprised, and I really mean this, my favourite player in the Premier League is Bernardo Silva. And people say, well, Bernardo Silva, what does he do? He makes goals, he scores goals, and runs around. And they are the three things that I think I did, without being big-headed, more than anything. So I wasn't the best player in every team I played for, not by a long way. But nobody would have run around more than I did on a pitch, on a Saturday, a Wednesday, whatever, ever, ever. When I look at them wearing these belts now, for how far they've covered the distance, all that, I would love to have had that. I really would because I learned of Kevin Keegan, you get noticed if you run around. And that's what I think about Bernardo Silva, but then he has the ability to back it up by scoring and making goals. And that's what makes football special for me. I think I, think I know the answer, but I'm not actually 100% sure, not 100% sure. Would you still do it now? You know when we talk about it's shite with this, it's wrong with that, it's different about this. Would you still do it now? If I got the chance to play, do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> if, you were, if, if, if you were 16, 17 now, I, I know it's obvious, but at the same time, it is a different world, isn't it? It is a different world, Mick, but, you know, the great thing is when you're the player, in a funny sort of way, although it's a team game, it's all about you as an individual. And I think I had something different to everybody else. So Kevin was a superstar. Terry Mack was a superstar. Chris Waddle was a superstar. But we all had different things, different things to bring to the team. And I think, without being big-headed, I was different. I could do things that were really special, you know. And, and then when I talk about all the crap that I've had in the last four years, I talk to people now, and as big-headed as this sounds, when I go home and obviously eventually go to bed, I've got just unbelievable memories that nobody can take away. So people have taken away certain things, they can't take away their memories. And like, you know, the amount of people that talk about this goal, that goal, you know, it's unbelievable. To, 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 Absolutely. Yeah. The fact that you mentioned it there, the thing about football is it's a team game. It's a team game. And that is the big, big problem these days.
does the problem look like? Does the team look like it has a problem as a team? So, you know, when I say to you, do you not want to be a player? Of course you want to be a player. But, but, do the five of you in that 11, think about the other six who aren't putting it in, thinking it's a different, it's a different world to the one in. Yeah, I, I have to say it, it, it is. But the great thing is now, certainly for the Premier League, obviously the managers understand all that. And now, because obviously the, the 25 players, where in our day you had 13 or 14. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. You know, we, we possibly would have had 18, but four were nowhere near at any stage. So, so in them days there was one sub. So it wasn't really difficult. The best players always played. But in them days also, you had to train properly. Where now, and through no fault of anybody's, they go game to game now. A lot of teams don't even train between a Wednesday game and a Saturday game. They just come in on a Friday morning to talk about the opposition on a Saturday and just basically don't run around, don't need to. Where now, it is a different game in that sense, but in our time, you had to work. And so if you come in every day, and you remember Mick, you used to come down to Maiden Castle with KK, he would send people in. He would send players in if they thought they weren't training properly. Because we had, on some days, we had a thousand, maybe two thousand people watching and he didn't want them to be watching people that were cheating. And so he'd send them in. And, and to be fair, I, I think there's no, no, no wrong with that. But when you look at Guardiola, he picks the best team. And he obviously sees what happens Monday at the Friday, Monday at the Saturday, Monday at the Sunday. And so he'll say, well, he's not going to play this week. You know, what, what he tells them, I don't know. Whether he just puts a sheet up and that's your 11. You know, and that's the thing in our day. Sheet went up. If you weren't in the 11, you couldn't go and see the manager till Monday morning. No. Wasn't that like you could affect the weekend? You basically went in on a Monday morning. Why wasn't I playing? Well, because you were rubbish or you didn't try or whatever. You know, where now, I don't know if he explains, I don't know if Klopp explains, but they have so many players now. Nobody complains when there's a, a team change, you know, because they keep winning. And that's what good players do. You heard me talk there about Newcastle. How important has Newcastle United been to you? How lucky were you ever to get to Newcastle United? How much did you ever want to be Newcastle United? Or would you, would you, once upon a time, have happily been the kid who went from Carlisle, who went to Stockport County, who ended up at Manchester City, and could have had a good career at a good other club at that level? Was it always about Newcastle? Was it always about Newcastle United? Yeah, so... May... So, you obviously just had the, the real legend, Super Mac on. You know, 74, the best pass I've ever seen in my life from mm. Terry Hibbert to put Super Mac through and obviously... Yeah, honestly, I still, to this day... I still get goosebumps. No, honestly, that is the best pass I've ever seen in my life, ever. And I really mean that. I, I don't know how he did it, but like Terry Hibbert was a superstar. But my superstar in my brain, growing up as a kid, was Jinky Jimmy. Love Jinky Jimmy. Yeah. I absolutely. And he, he more than anybody, was the person that got me thinking I would love to play for Newcastle. Because he was like lauded, as, as he should have been. Mm -hmm. But nobody ever said to him, like, a bit lazy, isn't he? You know? Everybody would say, look at that nutmeg. Wow. And like, so Jim, Jinky was getting loads of pleasure out of it. 
didn't always end up with a goal, you know, but, but I remember I queued up all night for the, the famous Nottingham Forest game. Queued up all night with me, me brother. After match of the day, we got, a, we got the 365, the bus to the central station, walked up, camped out. Fantastic. Yeah, didn't have a sleeping bag. Yeah. Honestly, just camped out. Like, thinking, like, and there would have been a few posh kids that had sleeping bags, but we didn't. So, <laughs> me and my brother, but then so, obviously, you remember all the trouble mix, so we get the tickets, obviously, two or three weeks before. And on the day before the game, on the Friday before the game, my brother gave my ticket away. <laughs> I, honestly, he gave it away to his best mate. Uh, and so I never got to the game. But in hindsight, he was not in trouble, but close to where the trouble was. So in hindsight, it was a good thing. And so after me battering him for three weeks, he, he then said, well, I saved your life. <laughs> now, and he said to me, one day you might play for that team. And obviously I, I dreamt I would, but I never thought I would. And then when I leave Carlisle to go to Vancouver, because nobody's really interested, uh, I think, well, you know, I knew Vancouver was a brilliant thing with all the senior players that I played with over there. Like, obviously, Peter Lorimer was a, a great player over there. Nobby Styles and Johnny Giles were the coaches. You know, we had loads of people from way back when that were top, top players. So Vancouver had brilliant. So how it came about for me to come back to Newcastle was, obviously, I went to Man U and failed. Wasn't good enough, not offended. It was a five-month experience that I wouldn't swap. You know, I was in the reserves with Mark Hughes. Paul McGrath was in the reserves with me. Gary Bailey was the goalkeeper in the reserves. Martin Buchan was in the reserves. Ray Wilkins was in the reserves. And I, hard to believe, because man knew at the time I had the most money. Anyway, so I go back to Vancouver, do another season, which is my last season anyway. And so in Vancouver, Mick, we all had sponsored club cars. There were Ford Lynx. So basically a Ford Escort, but they're called Ford Links, and we had a big, well, the badge of the White Caps. If you look on online as you are able to do nowadays, you'll see the badge of the Vancouver White Caps. Still the same, but we all had sponsored cars, and we all had this badge on the car. So on the driver's door and on the passenger door was White Caps. So you you have to bear with me here, and I'm going to apologise in advance for swearing. So, so. Basically, I get a phone call, and in Vancouver in them days, in 1983, they were ahead of their time in terms of, I had a mobile phone. But you remember when they first came in in England, there were bricks. So I had a brick in 1982-83, and I thought, wow, I've won the pools here. And I really thought, this is amazing. So anyway, I'm now in a shopping mall in Vancouver. My wife is in the shops. And so I'm sat in the car, listening to the radio, and I get a phone call on the brick. So, so, so this fella says, it's Arthur Cox here. Would you like to come and sign for Newcastle? Nothing else, not like, how are you doing? Like, so I told him to F off. <laughs> because I could see lots of Vancouver Whitecap cars in the shopping mall. And I thought, somebody's taking the piss out of me here. <laughs> and, and I have to be honest with you, while I was in Vancouver, 81 to 83, I never had the piss taken out of me so much in all my life. They used to batter me every day. And I really mean that, so it was what it was. Wasn't offended, it was funny. You know, sometimes when it's you, it's not funny, but it was funny. So 
Anyway, I told uh, Arthur Cox to F off. And, and so, didn't know it was Arthur Cox, so I, obviously I, in them days, I didn't know what Arthur Cox sounded like. Never ever seen him on the internet or whatever, that wasn't possible. So anyway, so he rings back. And so he said, let me just have a chance to talk. He said, would you like to come and play alongside Kevin Keegan? And now I'm thinking, wow, it might really be him. <laughs> and, and so obviously it was him. And so he said to me, how much do you get a week? I said, I get 400 pound. Obviously it's dollars, but I get 400 pound a week. He said, well, I'll give you 300 pound. <laughs> and as you know, as you, as you rightly know, with people coming and going and coming to different clubs, when you go to a new club as a better player than what's there, you don't go for less. <laughs> so, so anyway, I said to him, I said, I get 400. He said, oh, I can hear you. He said, he said, but the chance to play alongside Kevin Keegan's got to be worth 100 pound. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, that's a true story. I still speak to Arthur every week. Him and KK, I speak to them every week. They are, like, honestly, they. So anyway, I, I said, yeah. And like, so when Sandra comes out of the shops, she said to me, anything happened? I said, I had a phone call of Arthur Cox. And to be fair, she went, who's Arthur Cox? <laughs> and, and, and I'm not offended, because she loves football, but not many people in Vancouver would have known Arthur Cox was the manager of Newcastle at that time. So, wasn't offended. So anyway, she said, well, what did he want? He wants me to go and play alongside Kevin Keegan. She said, what do they want you for? <laughs> and, and, and so, so it's, it's true. So, so anyway. Two weeks later, the season's over, and I come back, and I'm on a flight, you, you'll remember what it's called, the shuttle, the, the British Airways shuttle that comes back every night, from London, obviously, late on a night. So we flew from Vancouver into London, get on the shuttle, and as we're sitting down, Kevin Keegan, and you'll remember a lot of the older people, only used to train like three or four days a week at Newcastle, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he never arrived in Newcastle till Tuesday night. So as luck would have it, I didn't know this at the time, as luck would have it, I was on the same plane. So I'm sat with my missus and just hiding, like, knowing he wouldn't even know who I was. So anyway, he had obviously spoke to somebody on the plane. And as we got off, he said, you're the little fella that Arthur Cox has been talking about. He said, he's been talking about you for weeks. He said, uh, I'll be there in the morning, I'll be training, you better be good. <laughs> and you'll have heard Kevin since, they thought they were getting Kenny Daglish. <laughs> they, they absolutely thought they were getting somebody that was a superstar. So anyway, I go, as I said, he said, you better be good. So went to training, and in them days we trained at Benwell. So the pitches were awful, and I don't mean that in a negative way, because that's the way it was, not complaining. Pitches were awful. So anyway, I start training, and he said to Terry, he said to Terry Mack, obviously big mate, he said, Terry, I was on the same plane as this fella last night. He said, he's, he's going to be good. He said, uh, he better be. He said, me and you played for Liverpool. He said, he, he can't be that good. And so, so anyway, after five minutes, Kevin went over to Arthur and he went, uh, yeah, he's decent. 
He's not Kenny Daglish, but he's decent. <laughs> and, and so from that day forward, Kevin took me under his wing. And to this day, he has been unbelievable to me. And I really mean that. So been unbelievable to so many people in the world, not just yeah. in Newcastle. But to me, he treated me like a king. So you'll remember, well, you might not remember some of the younger ones, but we went to Derby in the promotion season. And Arthur Cox had a migraine. But in them days, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way at all, a migraine was a, a really, really thing that basically stopped you working. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. You re if you had a migraine, you were in a bad way. So anyway, Arthur has a migraine. So Kevin Keegan takes the team and we go down to Derby and Kevin's in charge. Never been in charge before of any team. You know, you're still playing and he picks the team. And so normally, you know, was pretty much the same team. He made two changes, but we come in at half time and we're winning 2 0. And to be fair, we're flying. Derby were poor then. And so he's talking about how good we were and everything. And then we go out and we get beat 3 2. <laughs> and so we come in at the end of the game and he said, You Geordies, I've shit a lot of years. He said, Not you, Pedro. <laughs> and I was just so embarrassed because really I was to blame as well. You know, it's nice when somebody singles you out, but not in that term. But since that day, he has looked after me so well. When I obviously look, I left when he, you know, I and Wardler became the two men when him and Terry left. You know, not as good as them, but we were meant to be the same. And then we get George Riley and we get Tony Cunningham and we get Billy Whitehurst. You know, it was just a brilliant experience for us. And I really mean that, you know, when I mentioned Kenny Warren before, we just love Newcastle and everybody that came to the club, we made sure. So in the 80s and then in the 90s, when a Philip Albert or a Mark Hartigan or a David Ginola, Les Ferdinand, we educated them about the city. And that is probably one of the most important things that anybody learns. When I came back from Vancouver, obviously I didn't need to because I was a Geordie. Bit of a Canadian one, but I, I, I basically was back in very quickly and, and knew what it was about because this is a special place. Mick mentioned it at the start. There will never be a better football place in the world. And I really mean that. But, you know, we have to, you know, we have to hopefully get it back to what Kevin had. And I'm biased, obviously. And also because he used to pick me. So, but, yeah, to be fair, yeah. I, I quite often made a mess, but not. No. But, but it's just a, a brilliant thing to be involved in, Mick. You know, football, yeah. you know, you in a different thing. And obviously you and I had the pleasure of the World Cup, as I mentioned. You know, special, special days and, and the things that people can't take away. And that's where yeah. I feel really lucky. Do you know what it is? I don't think I've ever asked you before. And, and, and you've just sort of said it there in a roundabout way. And because during this last three or four weeks, I've actually been a bit critical of the new owners at Newcastle by saying, why isn't there a director of football? Why isn't there a, a chief scout? Why aren't they getting proper people in? You know, you've got billions of money, but you know, we, we seem to be struggling to buy players during this transfer window. Yes, we're getting one or two, but obviously they don't, see, they don't seem to be a director of football, which I think they should have. But I don't think I've ever asked you who who found you? And, and, and you're talking about Arthur Cox. So, yeah. so back in the day, a manager, he, Arthur Cox finds you in Vancouver, does he? 
Yeah, I, I, so his first introduction to me, Mick, as in not me as a person, as in meeting me, yeah. was Bob Stoker. Right. So Bob Stoker was my manager at Carlisle. Yeah. So Bob Moncur initially, then Bob uh, went up to Hearts and then went to Plymouth, but initially it was Bob Moncur, obviously. But then Bob Stoker came and took over and Arthur remembers having a conversation because Arthur, not everybody in the room will know, was obviously Bob Stoker's assistant when they beat Leeds in the cup final. So, so that was the connection there. And to be fair, and you, John Gibson obviously tells a story about Bob Stoker, you know, about like, well, basically, John got a bollocking off him, but he can explain that better himself. <laughs> but, but, like, so Bob Stoker was the first connection, but then, as you said, Mick, I don't know where Arthur Cox actually physically saw yeah. me play, because obviously I was in Vancouver playing against Beckenbauer and Pelle and Cruyff and people like that. I don't know how he got that footage. He, he obviously couldn't. So I don't know if you just remember what Bob said and thought, take a risk. But when, obviously, Kevin and Terry saw me arrive, like a little scrawny kid, you know, as they called me, they were a bit worried, but luckily we got promotion and... The but it's amazing, isn't it, that one of the, and I, I'm, not, I'm not blowing this smoke at you left, right and centre, because it's so true, but one of the great footballing legends of 80s and 90s, etc. football, Peter Beardsley, is scratching around at Vancouver has had trials at Burnley and Cambridge and Gillingham and Steve Bruce gets one at Gillingham and you don't and you're playing at Walls End and you end up at Vancouver and you end up being sooner or later one of the greatest players this football has known. It's, 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 amazing. it's amazing how these things suddenly happen. I mean, is it, is it fate? Is it luck? Is it, is it, you must sit, you must, you must sit at life and think to yourself, Jesus, how lucky am I? Or who do I thank, I'm, I'm thankful to KK, I'm thankful, you know? No, it's, no, it's amazing, it's amazing. No, I have to say, Mick, to be fair, you, you look at the people of War's End, you know, the boys club, what they did for kids in them days, you know, they were ahead of their time in that sense, and, you know, and, and to be fair, I worked in a factory, Mick, it's uh, Young and Cunningham's it was called, so, You'll even remember so from when you were here. So you go up West Moor and you go under the railway bridge. The chippy's on the right. And, uh, and so the reason I remember that chippy, Mick, I had to go there every day. And the reason I say that, so I was working in this factory. They did uh, valves for ships, and, but I was a labourer. And so I had to clean the floors, clean up all the mess and whatever. And, and the people, talk about bullying, the people in them days, so... so I used to live at, uh, by Percy Headley, and people will know where that is, it hasn't moved, still there. used to live by there, and I used to walk to Westmoor, obviously with my brother, he worked in the, the same area, but not the same factory. So I used to walk with him, but I used to take my ball every day, Mick. Just kick my ball all the way. Didn't have any mobiles to carry, or any, any bags to carry, then just basically just had to get myself to work, so. I used to kick the ball all the way and at the Flying Scotsman, you'll know the flyover, the Flying Scotsman, basically I had to kick my ball up the steps to get across the bridge. You know, it was quicker than obviously going over the flyover. So I used to do that every day. And then I used to get to the factory, you know, 
possibly caused crashes that I wasn't aware of. But, <laughs> but get to the factory, and the, the fellas working in the factory, lovely people, but like blunt and you still trying to be a fucking footballer? <laughs> so, so, but every day when I went in the factory, you had your own sort of cupboard, if you like, where you, the only thing I put in the cupboard was my ball. So, so then, my job, make it. So, started at eight o'clock. Yeah. You know, you had to be there two minutes to eight. You, you could be there anytime. Be early, be late. It didn't really matter. But anyway, so eight o'clock, between eight and nine, I used to go around and take the order. Anybody need any cigarettes, any, any sandwiches, whatever, for the 10 o'clock break? So I did that, and then I would walk probably about 500 yards, Mick, from the factory to obviously where these shops are that you'll know under the bridge. And on the morning, I used to go like to the, the post office and you know get the sweets, get the, the cigarettes, whatever they wanted. And then, you know, I took my ball, carrying two carrier bags, and then come back. And then, and then between 10 and 11, I used to go and take the lunch order. And they all wanted fish and chips. And so, like, it was unbelievable because, you know, most of the time I was eating the chips on the way back, but they never knew. <laughs> and, and that is a fact. That's not like being funny. It is funny, but it's not, you know. Luckily, they never ever said, like, you know, the, the good thing was I only had the ones with salt because I'm not a vinegar fan. So, so anyway, so then I take them back. And, and so when you mentioned about the trial, so the first trial is to Gillingham. So I have to get a bus, not far from here, the National Express, I had to get a bus down to, uh, down to London, down to Waterloo. So I get it down and basically I'm like Billy Elliot. I'm on a bus, never been on a fucking bus in my life. And I really mean that, because where I lived in Newcastle, this I walked This is everywhere. unbelievable, by the yeah. way. This <laughs> is unbelievable. So I got, I got the bus down and then, then I have to get across London from, obviously from Waterloo to Kent. Fuck do I get to Kent? I, but somehow I get a bus across London, end up in Kent, Gillingham. So I go on trial there, and Mickey Adams, you remember Mickey Adams? Yeah. Me and him were on the same trial on the same week. And the saddest thing for me, out of all of it, Mick, and probably drove me on more than anything, they fucking kept Mickey Adams and let me go. <laughs> I can't know. And I'm thinking, oh, this can't be right. So then, so then, my next one is Cambridge. So I fail there, go back into the factory, and they went, don't bother, you're fucking hopeless. The people in the factory, you've got no fucking chance. This is one of the best players in the world, by the way. I no. mean, this is mind-boggling. So, so, so I go back, and then I say, I'm going, to, I'm going to Cambridge. And to be fair to the man who was the boss, he let me go anyway. To be fair to him, he said, you've got a dream, you've got to try and go. And... So I go to Cambridge. And my first game for Cambridge is meant to be against Newmarket. So the lad I'm staying with, a lad called Pete Graham and his wife, Linda, brilliant, really nice people. You know, lived in the digs, meant to be for a week. And sadly, and it'll sound funny, and please don't laugh because it's not meant to be funny. Pete Graham's dad died, lived in Doncaster. So he had to go up to Doncaster. So on the Tuesday, they cut the trial short. I played the game against Newmarket, cut the trial short. And I go back up to Doncaster on Wednesday with him, and then he puts me on a train to Newcastle. So the trial only lasts three days. So, so that's the end of that. Then I go to Oxford. Jim Smith's the manager at Oxford. And then, so I never even met Jim Smith at Oxford. So if people lower down, make the decisions, he wasn't good enough. So I go back, and as I go back, every time I go back, 
Fucking pack in, you're hopeless, man. You're never going to be a player. So then I get a chance to, to have a trial game with Jimmy Nelson, who obviously worked yeah. for Newcastle. Played for him down at uh, the Quayside, uh, Willington, Willington Key. So I played there. And Jimmy said, I like what I see, you know, but it's not up to me. He said, it's up to Bill McGarry. And I, I obviously knew Bill McGarry, who he was, but I couldn't speak to Bill McGarry. So I, Jimmy come back and he said, we'll get you back in in a, probably two or three weeks. And so anyway, in the meantime, Carlisle come. And Bob Monker obviously was the manager at the time. And so I went and trained for them, with them for a week, played against Workington, scored a goal, beat them 2-0 and then go back in and Bob Monker said, I like what I see. He said, uh, we've got a game with the reserves on Friday at Newcastle Blue Star. So Wolvesington, obviously right by the airport, still there now, but it was a grass pitch then, it's Astro now, but anyway. So Bob Monker is playing now for Carlisle Reserves as a sweeper. So he's like 40 now and I'm playing. And so after the game, he said to me, he said, uh, do you want to come back to the Diamond with us? So most people in here will know the Diamond pub. I'd never heard of it, Mick. And I'm being really <laughs> serious. Never had a drink in my life. Never heard of it. He said, come to the Diamond. So I went to the Diamond. Thursday night, never forget it. He said, uh, we want to offer you a contract. We'll give you two years, £30 a week. And he said, uh, what do you think? I said, yeah, definitely. And obviously the money was irrelevant. But 30 quid in them days yeah. was a lot of money. So anyway, he said, well, come down tomorrow to Darlington. We'll get you picked up. And he said, come down to Darlington. And uh, we've got a game against Darlington pre-season. Uh, Billy Elliott was the manager of Darlington at the time. He really was. So I go into his office and sign a form. Not Billy Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he might have been dancing about somewhere. But, so. So I go in, sign the contract, and then I go on, so this is a Friday, Mick, I go into the factory on the Monday, and, the, and one of the fellas who was really mean, really, like, ultimately, genuinely happy for me in the end, he said, have you fucking failed again? He said, what are you fucking back for now? So I said, I'm leaving. He said, you're leaving, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Carlisle. He said, are your parents moving? <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to sign for Carlisle Football Club. He said, fuck off. <laughs> but, but that's the way it was in them days. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't nasty. It was like, but my dad, as big-headed as it sounds, he used to always call me Golden Feet. He always called me Golden Feet when I was a kid. He said, you will be a player one day. Yeah. He said, I guarantee it. And you just got to keep going. He said, everybody will ever go. Just keep going. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, and, and, and it doesn't matter... It doesn't matter whether it's football, it doesn't matter what it is. If you have that perseverance, that some, this is a, there are people these days who earn £100,000 a week. And this fella is working in a factory to try and make it, to try and make it, to try and keep it going, to try and make a footballer. It's an unbelievable story, unbelievable story. You are blessed to listen to that today because that is, you should never forget that there are people in life who try and try their utmost to be a career, to be a professional footballer. Unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs>
so, so tell, because we, there is, there is so much there. There is so much there. Tell me, because I, I, I thought about this this morning. Um, the difference between eighty-three and ninety-three. That stretch and the first stretch. Which did you enjoy most? Which, when you, when you think to yourself, I cracked it in eighty-three, but in ninety-three, I had the entertainers. I, which of the two? Which of the two? So, totally different. Mick, the first one to come and play, as I mentioned before, alongside Terry Mack and KK, they were absolutely brilliant. And I really mean that. Like, so, Terry Mack, you know, he's obviously doing a lot better these days, thankfully, but so he was a superstar. And, and to be fair, so playing with him, Mick, like, and you know, you obviously understand football, he kept running past me. So I'm receiving the ball off KK or Waddler or whatever, and Terry Mack would just fucking keep running past me. And, and I thought, where the fuck's he going? And, and to be fair to him, he said... He was a player. He was a player. And, and he said to me, he said, any idea what I'm running for, Pedro? <laughs> and, and I said, well, can I tell you? I see you. I said, I see you, but I'm not fucking sure. He said, well, I'm hoping one of these days you'll pass me the fucking ball. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair to him, he, he was absolutely... He brilliant. was a player. He was, he was a proper player. But he, he... So, if you remember, Mick, you remember, the, the goal I scored at Portsmouth, yeah. when, I, when I come in from the lane, and, and Kevin, I would tell you, Mick, give me a hospital ball. I wouldn't have said that to him, but he'd give me a hospital pass. So I get round one, uh, but I don't know if you really know the time of the goal was basically injury time. But as you know, Mick, in them days, the injury time was on the discretion of the referee as it is now, but there was no board goal. No so Kevin Keegan had scored a goal in the first half where he should have passed to me, really. And, and I'm not being clever, he should have passed. But the goal he threw it in from. I don't know, Alan Knight. Alan Knight yeah, threw yeah. it in. I don't know if he thought, Kevin, I've got to let us in. But it looks like that, honestly. When you watch it, and a lot of people will see it on YouTube, when you see it, He's definitely fucking through with him. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, so the next time, so coming to half time, Kevin Keegan gives me a pass. And, and to be fair, I get round the defender and then I go past the goalie. And now I'm almost on the line. And the lad, Sullivan, the, the left back, comes running across. And in my mind, I thought, there's no rush. And, and I really thought that. I thought, you know, nearly half time. He can't blow up when I'm standing here like this. I thought, ah, just wait. And Terry Mack is on the penalty spot. And when you see it, you'll see him. He's like, he's jumping, he's agitated, he's shouting, put it in, Pedro, put it in. And so, I thought, ah, I've got loads of time. So this defender comes and goes. He just goes straight past, and then I put it in. And so, when Arthur Cox was on his dugout or whatever, at 45 minutes, he used to go down the tunnel. So it might have been some days we had seven minutes injury time, but on his own watch, he started when we kicked off, on 45 minutes, he used to go down the tunnel. And so he'd gone down the tunnel and he'd missed me go. <laughs> and so we go in the dressing room and he thinks it's 1-0. And he comes in and he's, he's annoyed. He always says bloody, he didn't, didn't F or whatever. He said, it's a bloody disgrace. How can we only be beating these 1-0? And, and Terry goes, and Terry and Kevin used to call him Arthur. We called them boss. They called him Arthur. <laughs> Terry went, Arthur, Arthur, 
Pedro's just scored a wonder goal. It's 2 0. And Arthur went, We're playing well now, aren't we? <laughs> and, and the difference in the tone from where he was to where he began, it was like, it was unbelievable. And, and to be fair, to be part of that group was special, Mick. Yeah. But when Kevin brought me back, so when he brought me back, like, so Howard Kendall called me in, Mick, and said to me, he said, uh, I'm going to sell you. I said, I've been here two years, and this sounds really big. I've been your best player, yeah, yeah. and you're going to sell me. Yeah. He said, well, I'm thinking of buying Les Ferdinand, but you're the only person I can sell to fund that. And at the time, Mick, and I really said this, I said, I'd like to play with Les Ferdinand. I think I could help him. He said, the bad news is, he said, if I keep you, I can't get him. I said, well, who do you prefer? He said, he's younger. <laughs> I, I, I didn't ask that, I said. I said, so, so, he said, but there's people interested. I said, who's interested? He said, Derby County. And I thought in my own mind, Mick, but you'll understand when I explain. Derby County, fucking hell. <laughs> but then, but then, the only thing that saves all that Arthur Cox was the manager of Derby County at that time. So anyway, so Arthur Cox, out of respect for Arthur, and I still speak to him every week, genuinely love him, he comes to my house in Southport. And so he comes to my house, and he knows what I'm getting at Everton. He said, I'll give you a thousand pound a week more. And he said, uh, you can stay here. You remember Kevin used to get the flight up? You can live in Southport. You can come down on a Thursday, train Friday, play Saturday, go home. Because in them days, that's what you did. You don't play every day of the week as you do now. So he said, I said, well, I'm not sure. He said, uh, you're not coming, are you? I said, no, not really. And he said, uh, that's fine, but there's only one place I'll be happy for you to go now, and that's Newcastle. And at that stage, Mick, I 100% didn't have a clue that Newcastle were interested. So I go in to see Howard Kendall, haven't spoke to Arthur, said, I don't want to go to Derby. He said, I've got one more... Uh, one more card up my sleeve, as he called it. So, anyway, he said, uh, give me a, a minute, I'll just make a call. So I'm in his office now, sitting in his office. And so he's went, uh, Kevin? And seriously, Mick, I never thought Kevin <laughs> Keegan, man. So he's gone, Kevin? And from the other, I can hear the call. He's gone, no, it's Terry. And so obviously it's Terry Mack, so he's gone, Terry, uh, Peter doesn't want to go to Derby. He said, uh, are you interested? And uh, he said, yeah, we want him, we want him. And Howard said, you don't know the fee yet. He said, I don't care what the fee was, we want him. And so Kevin had left Terry the license. To, they called it the bat phone, Mick. You remember the way yeah, they yeah. were. They were like a double act, honestly. So when one of them was in England, they were in charge of this phone. Never left the country. If they went abroad, they took another phone. But this was called the bat phone. So I rang Terry and... Terry said, give me two minutes, I'll be back with you, Howard. And so I'm in the office, rings me, so organised. Kevin's back in the country three days later. I met them at Weatherby, Mick. You know the hotel on the bend? Yeah. Yeah, everybody knows that. It's a Newcastle fan, it's been south. The hotel, I go in there, and so I was told to meet them at six o'clock. And so I'm in there, six o'clock. I'm in there long before six o'clock, but they don't know that. So I'm there. And, and so... About three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, in about, in about ten past six, Mick, <laughs> KK comes in and he says, sorry for being late, Pedro, 
And me, I said, you're not late. Inside, I was saying, yeah, you're fucking late, but I can't say that. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, you're not late. He said, well, sorry for being early. He said, he said, I know what Arthur's offered you. He's offered you a grand a week more than what you're getting at Everton. He said, I'm going to offer you a grand a week less. He said, but I'm going to get you a Rover car. Because <laughs> if you remember, and you will remember, we used to get Rover cars. That was just about the start of the sponsorship. And I was supposed to be the main man to be the star catch for Rover. <laughs> and he, that's how he sold it to me. But he said, if any, ever we sign another player that's going to get more money than you, you'll get the same. <laughs> so what, now you understand why I never complained when Ginola, Fernand, <laughs> Shearer, when they all came in, you never heard me complain. And that's, that's why, that's not the reason that the second time was better, but the second time was better because Kevin trusted me to make that team better. And then, just tell you a quick story about how I got the captaincy, and Mick will know. Yeah. So, we were down, so we went to Luton on a Tuesday night and played horrendous in the, in the cup, got beat, and so we were playing Wimbledon away on the Saturday, so Kevin took us straight to Bournemouth. He said, go to Bournemouth and, and we'll have a good few days, you know. It wasn't all about the FA Cup. It was all about the, the winning of the league and obviously doing as well as we did. Anyway, so we go from Luton to Bournemouth. He said, when we get to Bournemouth, he said, you can have as much drink as you want, but once you go to bed, no more. So he didn't care if you went to bed five, six in the morning. Once you go to bed, don't be drinking tomorrow. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, game Saturday. So anyway, on the Wednesday, we were going to Quasar Laser. <laughs> yeah, honestly. So, I can so, just see you in honestly, Quasar Laser. To, to be fair, where do you fucking see Arthur Cox? <laughs> you know? so, so anyway, we're going to Quasar Laser, and I get a knock on my door. And it's Telly Mac, and he said, uh, Pedro, have you seen uh, Venice? No. Mm. Have you seen Steve Howie? Yeah. No. Okay. Have you seen Alec Murphy? No. He said, well, if you can, and you do see them, and he was being nice, he really was being nice, try and warn them the gaffer's looking for them. Because they aren't where they should be now. We're getting on this bus at 2 o'clock to go quiz a laser. They're not here. So anyway, the three of them, obviously good lads, but not very bright, and obviously like to drink. So that's fine. I'm not against anybody drinking, but there are rules. And so, when we go Quasar Laser, Kevin and Terry wave us off because they're going to look for them three. And so we, as the bus pulls away, and obviously you'll know a bus is higher than a car, we can see in a pub across the road, the three musketeers. <laughs> so we can see them, but we never told Kevin, but he goes into the first pub out of the hotel across the road and he sees them. And he took them straight to the, the, the station and was going to send them home. So we had 15 players, obviously 14 that you could use, three subs, always had a spare. And they get to the station, and he's going to send the three of them home. And Terry said, Gaffer, if you do that, we'll only have one sub. <laughs> he said, you can't send them home. And so basically he brought them all back. And then the next day we have a meeting, and uh, Telly Mac comes to my door about 10 minutes before the meeting. He said, I've got some good news for you, Pedro. He said, you're the new captain. I said, what? Oh. He said, you're the new captain. He said, but don't tell anybody. I said, well, who knows? 
He said, me, you and the gaffer. He said, but don't tell anybody else because the person who is a captain, which was Barry Venison, is going to get told in an hour or so. So like, we call Barry Venison Skip. So when you I see, when, so, yeah, <laughs> so when I go past him, all right, Skip. Oh. But I know because Terry's told me, he shouldn't have told me, I'm going to be the captain. But to be fair, Mick, it, it sounds horrible and I love Venice, still speak to him now in America, but it was just perfect because I got the chance to be the captain, which Kevin was the captain of our team, if you like, when he came in 83. And it was just a, an unbelievable, proud thing to, to look after Clarkie, Watt, yeah. Robbie Elliott. And I really, really mean that. It was special. And, I, and I, I've always thought about you as well. And I just think people in, in life in general, and I'm not just talking about footballers, just, just people in life in general who like to help other people when they were helped themselves. So we're thinking about the factory. We're thinking about you getting a shot at Newcastle and Terry Mack and more, more so KK is looking after you. You go back in 1993. There's a little scrawny kid from Bristol City who you look after as well, who turns out to be for whatever it was. It felt like, it felt like five years, but it was probably only about two years. Yeah. Andy Cole. Yeah. How, you know, and the captaincy is one thing, but also on top of the captaincy, you've looked after this kid as well. And that must have been really special for you. Yeah, I, I have to say, Mick, so I, because I was old, so you'll know now, Mick, you'll obviously know more than me, but now Premier League players all have a room of their own. Yeah. But in our day, you shared with somebody. So when I came back to Newcastle, uh, Kevin Keegan said to me, I'm going to put you on your own, Pedro. Not because you, you, you're special or because you're this or you're that. I just want to send players to see you. Yeah. So on a Friday night, when you sat in your room and there's nothing on, you know, he said, I'm going to send somebody to see you. So we used to send Lee Clark, Steve Watson, Robbie Elliott, Coley. You know, and Coley used to ask me, when do you want me to run? Where do you want me to run? How do you want me to run? And I used to say to him, and I'll say it now, when the ball's on its way to me, can I pass this ball first time to you? Because if I can, get on your bike. Mm -hmm. And that's what I always did. And don't get me wrong, it didn't work every time. And I passed balls away. And I'll tell you a quick story in a minute about that in terms of KK. So anyway, I, I, I'm, I've become like a, a parent almost to the kids. Absolutely. But loved every minute of it, Mick. Like yeah. Coley, still speak to him now. Coley, when I had to go to the FA for the the tribunal thing or the, the, the case that I was in, came and spoke for me and, you know, really, really great kid, you know, really, really a diamond of a kid, but always listened to what I said. You could tell by the next day. You could tell by the way he ran, how he ran, when he ran, that he was listening to what I was saying. Lee Clark, still speak the Nash now. Yeah. Like, they were great kids. So one of the most horrible things, Mick, as weird as it sounds, you remember me fracturing my cheekbone the second time. So the first time wasn't an accident, as in Neil Ruddick did it on purpose. That's fine. I'll live with that. You know, hasn't made me any worse looking than I all fucking really was. So, <laughs> so uh, everything is God oh, blessing. Oh. Yeah, sad but true. <laughs> so anyway, so the second time, Mick, is obviously the Leicester thing. You know, and to yeah. be fair, total accident. Bum in the Steve Thompson, my fault. No, not a complaint. So I get in the car, Mick. So. I get in the car and I go to the to the excuse me the hospital in Leicester 
only a mile or two away and so right around the corner wasn't it yeah. yeah so i go to this hospital in a car with arthur cox like an ambulance but like a car rather than a, a big ambulance so i go around and arthur cox so anyway so the the lady when we get to the reception she said what have you done so i'm in my kit maker i've got my name on my back and, and i've got my black and white kit on <laughs> and so and so and like she said what have you done and she so I said, I think I fractured. I said, I think I fractured my cheekbone. How did you do that? I'm in my kit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. And Arthur went, he, to be fair, he was there and he went, have you got anybody more senior that can help us? <laughs> and, and, but like trying to be polite. And, and so anyway, so we're now, she said, I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get a bed for you. So I'll get a bed and you'll get wheeled down to x-ray. So anyway, I go down to a, uh, x-ray and the fella pushing me like honestly i was hitting the walls and everything mate. not not in a horrible way yeah, yeah. he was trying his best and honestly and arthur cox went to him stop 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 right now you get to the other side you steer and i'll push <laughs> and, and so and so so he pushed me mate. he pushed me into the x-ray room and so we go in and the lady the lady the radiographer whatever you call she she said uh, you'll have to leave, sir. So this is Arthur. He went, what do you mean I'll have to leave? I'm not leaving him. Do you know how much he's worth? <laughs> and, and so he says to the lady, I'm not leaving him. No, no. So the lady said, well, you'll have to. You know, obviously, all the, the systems and whatever. So he said to her, he said, where do you stand, love? She said, I stand behind the glass there. He said, I'll stand with you then. <laughs> he, said, he said, it must be safe there. So, so anyway, so, so, so then, like, so then he's in there, Mick. He wouldn't leave the room. He's behind, oh, he he, he's behind he, the glass with the lady. KK wouldn't let him. So, so now the game's all over, Mick. And obviously they, they come with a bus, come with a bus to the hospital. KK, Terry Mack walk in. And obviously I'm in the x-ray room and Arthur's behind the glass. And they obviously know we're in there and they're knocking on the door. And the lady's saying, you can't come in. And they're saying, we don't want to come in. And so they're knocking on the door. Anybody seen Arthur? Uh, phone call for Dr. Cox, they're shouting. And, and so he's behind the glass. And he's going to the lady. Don't, don't tell him yet. So anyway, the, Arthur like, says, what do you think's wrong with him? Well, she said, I think he's got a facial injury. He said, I think I knew that. But, <laughs> but has he broke anything? She said, well, I'm not allowed to read the, the prints. He'll have to go back to Newcastle. So I go back to Newcastle, mate. And so I'm in Freddie Shepherd's yeah. Rolls Royce. And I'm sat in the front seat of it, Mick. And in the back now is Les Rayner. You'll remember Les yeah, Rayner. Yeah, yeah. I used to be his driver. In the back is uh, Douglas Hall, Freddie Shepherd, and Derek Wright, the physio. Yeah. It was a bit of a chunky lad, but a lovely lad, the best physio I've ever had. Absolutely. Yeah. But so they're in the back watching off Weavers in. <laughs> they're watching off Weavers in on the, on the screens, and like Derek's going to me, I'm sat in the front. Yeah, Pedro, have a look at this. Got a fractured cheekbone here, Derek. You know what I mean? So we'll go back to the hospital, and we we'll go back to the hospital. So we we go straight to Nuffield, and the lady in the Nuffield said, I can't I can't give you anything to eat. I don't know what time the operation will be. So, but she said to Derek, make a cup of tea. Oh no, if he can't have anything, I can't have anything. And like Derek was just so, so nice. So anyway, 
He goes home. The lady said, the operation will be tomorrow. They then take me to the general hospital. That's where you'll know, obviously, with the way the hospitals have been now, private hospitals aren't great at operations. It sounds really stupid, but they, so they send me to the general. So I go and see the consultant and he said, uh, and by the way, Mick, I've still got my shirt on. Still got me, still got my kit on. Uh, so still got your shorts on. Yeah. So I go, I go to the hospital, and one of the well, the surgeon comes over. He says, uh, "Going to operate in about an hour and a half." He comes over and he goes like that, and he goes. He said, "But uh, do us a favour, will you, before we go for the operation? Will you come and visit a couple of patients?" <laughs> oh well, he actually took me down around the general hospital, visiting people in my kit, with my name on my back. Honestly, it's true, Mick. Honestly, yeah. well, Keegan was fuming. Wow. <laughs> it was absolutely unbelievable. But the funny part of the story, Mick, is so I was out for six weeks and then we're in Europe. So we're going to Antwerp. And obviously, uh, you know that very well, Mick. Yeah. So we're going to Antwerp. And so on the Monday, the game's on a Tuesday night, as you know. So on the Monday, I hadn't trained, hadn't done anything. Kevin said to me, so I was walking around the place with a mask on, and I mean a real mask, not like this, a real mask. And so Kevin said to me, they were flying to Antwerp on the Monday afternoon. Uh, Kevin said to me, I think you're ready, Pedro. <laughs> I said, what, what do you mean, Gaffer, I'm ready? I said, I've never kicked the ball. He said, but you look ready to me. <laughs> so, so he said, I, I don't, I, so in all that time, and I really mean this, I was a, a weirdo in a sense that I looked after my own boots. Never left them at the training ground, and as you know, Mick, at Maiden Castle, we got changed where university students got changed, so you could have lost them any stage, used to continue. So I left them at home. So as I'm leaving the, the training ground, I go home, and I go home to get my boots. And like, on my route to the airport, so I'm five minutes from the airport where I live, go and get them, Sandra said, what you got your boots for? Ah, oh, I'm going to do a bit of training in the morning before the game and that. She went, you're playing, aren't you? I said, <laughs> might be. So anyway, so he put me in a room where we stayed, Mick and Antwerp. We they basically couldn't give Kevin, Terry, Arthur their own room as they would normally do. So I had to share. So I had to share, and I was sharing with Steve Watson. So I'm sharing with Steve Watson, who'd been fantastic the early part of the season. And so we went out five o'clock after the, the meeting, conquer picking. And I really mean oh. conquer picking, not not like, not might have been conquer picking, and uh, and so Watto, I'm out with Watto, and he's throwing twigs at the trees and getting them down, because he had young children at the time. So he said to me, he said, uh, "When do you think you'll be playing again?" So I haven't got a clue, Watto. He said, uh, "You know what it is. You're the only person I'd be happy to replace me at the moment, because I'm playing so well." But obviously, I just told them blatant lies. <laughs> and as you know, when the team came out, I'm in. And uh, <laughs> poor Watto was gutted. But, but to be fair, when he came to me, he said, anybody but you, Pedro, I'd have been annoyed. But that's where I was lucky, that everybody was really nice to me. And like, I still speak to Mark Hottiger, Philippe yeah. Albert. They, they were just brilliant, brilliant people. And a brilliant time in my life, Mick. So yeah. I won the league at Liverpool. But I wouldn't swap Nelly winning the league at Newcastle. I've never asked you before. I've never asked you before, but we talked there a little bit about how much you um, 
looked after and took out of the uh, in, into the wing of, of, of Andy Cole. Uh, this might be a bit unfair. Should Andy Cole have been a better player? Should Andy Cole have been more successful in player? You know, because where he was, those 41 points, sorry, 41 goals he scored for, for, for Newcastle. He then gets at Manchester United. He doesn't kick on and be the superstar, does he, Andy Cole? You know, I, I don't know how many goals Andy Cole's played for, for England. Maybe, maybe what, 20, 25, I don't yeah. know. Should, should he have played more? Yes, in my opinion. You know, I don't... To be fair to Andy, he's really quiet. Yeah. So he doesn't get in your face. Not a horrible person, not a nasty kid. Excuse me, if somebody kicks him on a field, he'd be annoyed. Yeah. But wasn't a horrible person. But him and Sheringham, in Andy's words, without being clever, didn't get on. Didn't gel, didn't play well together. Him and Yorkie, as you know, yes. played really well together. And while them two were together, they were great. And obviously did great things. But yes, he should have probably got more England caps, in my opinion. And then there was a fellow called Shearer, of course, around at the same Absolutely, time. Absolutely, but I think Andy had learned how to play with another number nine. Yeah. When you look at Alan and Les, there were two nines playing together. Yeah. And were brilliant at it, by the way. But, but I think Andy had learned how to play with another number nine. And Yorkie was more of a nine than... Shellingham was a 10, if you understand what I mean. So, yes. so them two together were great, good chemistry. But yes, Coley should have definitely, mm. with what he had, and certainly what I had the pleasure of playing with, 41 goals was just incredible. In, what about you? What about you? Uh, again, I, I've never thought about this. But because we're obsessed in football these days, you know, kids watch about this, they do all the stats, they do everything. Everybody's obsessed with, are you a number 10? Are you a number 8? Are you a centre forward? Once upon a time, you were 4-4-2. Once upon a time, you were left side, right side. You were centre midfield. Do you consider yourself, as a professional footballer, to have been a striker, a midfield player, a centre forward, a number 10? What would you have been these days? What do you think you are or were? Uh, I would think now that most teams play with one up front, Mick, even in the Premier League. I would be, uh, as big-headed as it sounds, a perfect 10 for somebody. Yes. So that's, that's how I see my role, you know. So I genuinely, genuinely, yes, enjoyed scoring goals. Nobody doesn't. But I got great pleasure out of other people scoring. Mm. And some of the passes that I was able to make, make like just, they give me a buzz now thinking of them, the passes that I make to people that they've scored but they've scored by just tapping it into the net, and I don't mean that in a cocky way, mm. but I just think of some of the passes that I've played and able to play without looking and do things without looking, I just, yeah. I'm coming back as me, Mick. Yeah. I really, I, honestly, I've had a, wouldn't swap a day of what I've had, yeah. and I mean it, I really, I've just had an unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. Yeah, it's great when people say that, and it's nice that you say that, you know. We all said that, by the way. But, People like him have to have the brain of where to be, and I mean that nicely, I really do, you know. He's, he's got the perfect job in football now, because he wasn't a football lover, and I don't mean that in a horrible way. What I mean is, he doesn't have to ask a question, you know, he doesn't have to answer, he doesn't have to say this, that, and he doesn't have to be critical. He's just got an easy job. Micka Richards <laughs> might be hard to work with, you know, he's got him and Super Al, you know, and obviously they get on brilliant, the podcast, all that. But, He's got a perfect job because he wouldn't want to be a pundit. He has been and he was in the early days, but he's got the perfect job now. But 
he was perfect for me as good as everybody says I was perfect for him mm. I also have to have the perfect partner and in him I had the perfect partner I have to say I was I was thinking about an hour ago before I walked on this stage and I thought to myself one of my big lines before I walked out here was bearing in mind you as people coming here to the time theater and seeing this fella but seeing another fella today as well I thought to myself can you imagine if Newcastle United had 500 billion pounds and Peter Beardsley and Malcolm McDonald. Yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, that's, that, that's, as much as I love Les Ferdinand, Sir Les as I call him, and most people do now, and I think he will get a nasal eventually because I love him a bit. But anyway, I, that's my one regret, Mick, that I never got the chance to be Alan's number 10. Yeah. And I really mean that. Alan would have scored 300 goals. So his 260 would have been 300. And I don't mean that in a cocky way to me. But that is the one regret that I had, that mm. when, when Alan came, the best thing about when Alan came, and if you remember, you all remember, we were obviously, I talked about the bad phone. So we were getting on a flight to go to Osaka in Japan, and the phone goes. And the phone goes, and, I, and I, you remember, Mick, you used to listen to the two of them, as in Terry Mack and yeah, JK, yeah. that's the big one, that's the big <laughs> one, and, and to be fair, so Kevin looks at the phone, wow, Terry, it is the big one, it is the big one, but we don't know, yeah. and so we're literally getting on the plane, and uh, he said, to Kevin, off the plane, and I really mean off the plane, didn't grab anything that he had or whatever, yeah. Terry, I'm off, see ya, and so, so we're now all asking Terry what's going on, and obviously yeah. it's this year, I think, yeah. But we didn't know for definite, we're hoping, you know. But the really funny thing was, so Les Ferdinand was obviously number nine. So he comes to me, having been told he's not going to be number nine anymore mm. when Alan comes. And so he said to me, what will I do, Pedro? He said, well, I can't wear number nine. He, he wants to give Alan a number nine. So He said, I'm not really bothered, but what number can I ask for? I said, well, why don't you ask for 99? And I did, I, honestly, <laughs> on my kid's life. I said, why don't you ask for 99? He said, what a good idea, Pedro. So anyway, he goes to ask Kevin, and he comes back, and you'll know this, Mick, yeah. you, you will understand. So he comes back and he said, can't have 99. He said, you're not allowed to have 99. I said, and you'll remember, Mick, Vita Bayo, the goalkeeper, yeah. wore 99 for Real Madrid, and then when he went to Portugal. I said, he's talking shit. <laughs> uh, he said, yeah, I can't very well go in and say, Pedro said you're talking shit. <laughs> so, so he said, what do I do now? And so you know me, he said, he took number 10 and Lee Clark was devastated. So now Lee Clark takes number 20 and Al, Al Nielsen's devastated. That's just the world you live in, you know, but the thing is, so KK come to me and he said to me, he said, I've got two problems. So. One of them was the number thing. And he said, the other one is he wants to take the penalties, Pedro. I said, I've absolutely got no problem with that. And I really mean that, Mick. I said, oh, thank God for that, Pedro. He said, <laughs> he said I really thought you'd want to take them. I said, I really don't care. I said, if he's not playing, I'll take them. But if he's playing, great. And to be fair, it was just one of them brilliant situations. So Alan, when he first arrived, Mick, in our soccer, and then we had to go different places obviously all over you know for a couple of weeks 
Alan couldn't fly with the team. That's right. So they sent me with him. So everywhere he went, I was his mate. And to be fair, it was brilliant. So he, maybe that's why he put me in his team a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, was, I had the pleasure because he couldn't travel with the team because I hadn't had the insurance or whatever. Yeah. Yet. So everywhere we went, different places, I got to travel with Al. And as you would know, he wasn't in business class. <laughs> he was in first class. So, so but when, we, we, when we talk about, when, when you talk about, KK's talking about this, it's, it's, it's the big one, it's the big one. You know, you talk about Alan, but you know, Tino, remember Tino arriving in the snow and Terry Mackett. And, 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 I mean, do, do, we, do we think, are those days coming around the corner? You know, we're talking about yeah, yeah, the new yeah, owners. Yeah, yeah, do, you know, yeah. do, are, you, are you excited? Am I excited? Oh, yeah. no, no. Are we all excited I, about, in a, in a year's time, in two years' time, I think we, might, we might be looking at a proper football club again? I think we are... I think we probably do excitement better than any country, uh, any club in any country. Yeah. Well, they I, can do it. They can do it. Yeah. The people can do it. Yeah. Can the football club do it? Well, I, I think that's certainly the plan, Mick. When you look at what they've done, you know, they've moved on to another level now. And now, you know, tomorrow, you know, I think Steve announced, obviously, Dan Byrne coming. There'll be others tomorrow. And I really believe that, you know, and that's... And that's what Kevin brought to the club, and that's what everybody, and to be fair to the new owners, that's exactly what they want to do, you know. But how long that will take, the big thing is, Mick, can they make sure in the next four months they're still in the big league? Yeah. If they're in the big league, then the sky's the limit for me. And who's your, who's your money on? I mean, what do you think? I are, think you happy, I, are you happy enough still? Yeah, oh yeah. I think the only one that will get above us, Mick, if at all, would be Burnley because of the games in hand. Not because they're the better team, but because of Sean Dyche has been the distance before, I think Watford and Norwich, with all due respect to Roy Hodgson and obviously Dean Smith, I think they'll both go. I think they'll definitely go. I think it's between us and Burnley. That's what I personally think. But who's to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just about, I was just about to mention that. I mean, and I mean, I mean here, here, here's an amazing thing that I was checking earlier. I'm surprised that, that Frank Lampard and Eddie Howe are the same man, virtually the same age, you know? So Eddie Howe's 44, Frank Lampard's 43. Is, is Lampard, do you think, in terms of, you know, A, the Everton game in 10 days' time, whatever it is, is that a fear? Or do you think that actually that's not a, that's not a bad thing necessarily? No, I think it's a good thing. You know, I still think... You know, that cushion that they have, Mick, uh, in an ideal world, although I played for Everton, do I want Everton to go down on Newcastle? Everton, see ya. <laughs> but, 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 but I really, I really do think, I personally think it's through the bottom four. Yeah. I think it is yeah. the bottom four. You know, I, I hope I'm wrong and I hope there's more get dragged into it, but I really do think it'll be between the bottom four. I, I may be wrong, but... It wouldn't bother me because I've been wrong before. Okay, let's just let's have a few final thoughts about because we've talked about Newcastle United. We could spend here for hours and hours and hours and hours. T -t talk talk to me about football. Talk to me about the best player at this minute in time in the Premier League. I know you mentioned Bernardo Silva. Who excites you? Who who, who excites you? Who gets on your who gets on the edge of your seat and thinks? I wish I'd been him. I yeah. wish I was as good as him. I, the thing that probably excites me more than anything, Mick, and I watch more than anything, is Man City. I know City. you watch football. Yeah. Is Man City because of Pep. 
I absolutely love Nadomic and I talk and when I was had the pleasure of working in the academy and working with the reserves, the game's about getting the ball back, mate, when you've lost it. So everybody loses the ball, how quickly can you get it back? So I never expected a kid, if a big centre half boots the ball 70 yards, I never expected him to run 70 yards to try and get the ball back. But when you look at tick attack of football now, imagine that table's 10 yards square. That's what they do. When they get it back now, Mick, they have three or four passes quickly to then develop something longer. And that's what I say about kids. Can you get that ball back within that three, four seconds? And that's what football is for me. And that's why I love watching Man City, because they very rarely don't have the ball because of the way they play. And that's the way football is now. You know, because at the end of the day, if you haven't got the ball, you're going to struggle. Mm. And when you look, Steve Bruce, whether you love him or hate him, they always label the stats that we never had more than 50% possession in games. You know, that's happened in the last couple of games for Eddie. It's part of the game. When you play the better teams, they're going to have the ball. The problem is, when you get it, how long can you keep it? And that's the thing with me. Football is all about having the ball, enjoying the ball, keeping the ball. So when I first came to Newcastle, Mick, one of the first things that Arthur Cox said to me, he said, so me and you are going to stand by the dugouts, so St. James's Park, there were tiny little dugouts in them days, me and you were going to have a race across that pitch with the ball. So me and you were going to race to get over to the other side of the, the pitch with the ball, I better beat you. So, so honestly, Mick, so... I think, fucking old man, him. Because <laughs> yeah. at that stage, Mick, well, it, I'd have been 22 then. Fucking, he can't fucking beat me. So, so anyway, so I start running Mick, so, and I'm looking back, and he hasn't moved. And so, when I'm about 10, 12 yards from the other side, Mick, he boots his ball. And his fucking ball beats me. <laughs> and he said, I never said I had to be with ball. <laughs> and he said, nobody can run faster than the ball and who can play, yeah. who could play an hour later, the ball could. It's a simple game, you know. It's unbelievable. Do, do, do you, does it not amaze you how, ever many, how many people just don't realise that football's a simple game? No, it, it frustrates the life out of me, Mick. Yeah. And, and I, I watch players, I look at Grealish, like, has unbelievable ability, keeps losing the ball. Like, 100 million? Wow, seriously. <laughs> and he might be the nicest kid in the world, Mick. But Pep understands. And if you don't do what Pep does, you know, it's like Triore that's just gone to Barcelona. Mm. The football they play, he may not get a kick. How can he, how can he be there? It's like, uh, I don't know. And, and, that's what, like, and that's why I love football, Mick. You never know what's coming. Okay. You know, you never know the result. We all talk. I, I watched you and Steve last week. Steve thought they might get a result of Leeds, you maybe thought they wouldn't. That's what football's like, yeah. and that's why we all love it, because there's no exact science, you know, you might win, you might lose. You might play brilliant and lose, you might play brilliant and, 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 and win, you just never know what's around the corner. But as Arthur Cox said to me, he said, the ball bounces differently every day. So I'll throw you a ball today, you'll control it, you think, what's the problem? Throw it tomorrow, you fall over. Why? There's no explanation. Mm. You just maybe haven't concentrated or you've just done something stupid or whatever, you know. And that's what football is. You know, you capitalise on people's mistakes and you take advantage. And that's what I was lucky enough to do. So I, in a big-headed way, was good at getting the ball back. Yeah. And I love that. The slide tackle, Mick, I love that, you know. And 
Like, so I played in a testimonial up at uh, Celtic when I was at Liverpool. And I, and I did a slide tackle to the fellow and he said, the fuck are you doing? It's a testimonial. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, but I want to get the ball. And I said, this is the best way. He said, you could have told me you were coming. <laughs> and, and it's just quite weird, you know, like, obviously in my testimonial, Mick, like, obviously a long time ago, got absolutely battered. Selig took it too seriously. <laughs> and, and to be fair, we did have Kevin, Kevin and Kenny, who I think were slightly past the best. You were captain. You were captain in 1996, obviously. Frustration, emotional, whatever it was, we all went through it. Can you and I live, and people in this theatre live, before they kick their clogs and Newcastle win something? Can, can, can we worship this city? Can we worship What's this football What's the youngest person club? in here? 65. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, we all, to be fair, Mick, it's what we dream of, isn't it? Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, did we ever think we would get to that stage? Yeah. So, yes, we failed ultimately. You must have done. Yeah, no, As captain fair, in 1996, yeah. you must have thought, I might won't be captain, I might not even be a player, but Newcastle will win something. No, no. And we're talking, uh, we're talking no, no. about, what, no, no. nearly 20 years? No, and that'll never change, Mick. And that is always a dream. You, you, you know, you look at, obviously, we talk about Supermac. You know, he had the pleasure of playing the cup final, and I never, yeah. you know, for Newcastle. And that is, like, something that money can't buy. As I said earlier about kids and whatever. We all have a dream, Mick. Yeah. And at the moment... As long as I'm alive, the dream's still alive. So I'm, I'm quite happy. I, I think it's a, an exciting time for everybody. We just have to have the right people buying the right players. Perfect way to finish it. <laughs> Peter, Re Peter, Re Peter Beardsley's Final uh, thoughts were, stay the dream, keep the dream. It's Peter Beardsley for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.